Today's episode of It Never Rains is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Pac-12 tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of It Never Rains. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening today. Today's our free uh, Monday episode, which is available on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tyson Alger here, and I am without Aaron Fentress today. He is flying back from Cleveland after he covered uh, the Seahawks win over uh, the Browns. But we got a replacement. We got Justin Myers, a, a good friend of mine. He uh, He's uh, on the bridge on NBC Sports Northwest. He's a radio host on 620 AM here in Portland. And uh, yeah, he's just, just a good overall dude to talk to. Good, He's been around Oregon football for a very long time. So uh, I think perfect guy to bring on to kick off Husky Week here. So uh, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time this morning, Justin. Anytime, Tyson. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Aaron Fentress can't make it. So Justin Myers has to come in and Wally Pip him. I hope he's <laughs> hope he's prepared. I hope he realizes that you know I, the, the the travel decision that he made has now brought me in to infiltrate his podcast. The, the, this is essentially, I think, this might be like two thousand one. Uh, you're you're Tom Brady here, and, and Drew Bledsoe uh, is uh, is on the airplane. Uh, you know, probably flying business class. You know, Fentress is a man of uh, high class and taste, so um, he. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, shoot, man, it's, it's been a long time since I think we've been on, on the radio together, or I guess, I guess, uh, audio waves together, but, uh, uh, we, we, we drove down to the game on Saturday, a game that I think both you and I didn't really think would go that specific way, uh, where Oregon just absolutely dominated Colorado in, in, in both, uh, facets of the game there. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean. That, that was a pretty fun game, wasn't it? I don't know if fun's the right word, but if, if you're an Oregon fan, that's a, that's a pretty good pretty good game to uh, have have in your pocket coming into Washington here, right? Well, for I mean, I think all these Oregon fans that were waiting for this game, I mean, they wanted a legitimate dominant performance from this Oregon team that they just haven't seen outside of uh, a gigantic win against Nevada, but that's not going to get anybody excited. So the fact that Oregon on a Friday night, on a short week, put it on a Pac-12 team and and dominated them. I think that's what this, this Oregon fan base needs because I, I think there's still a lot of yeah buts. Like, yeah, this defense is good, yeah, but who yeah. they played. I, I think there was still some hesitation. And then right before now they head to Seattle to, to face their biggest rival, Oregon fans, I think, are the most confident they have been all season long because they finally kind of put it all together. As you said at the top of the show, they put it in all phases of the game. And, and I'm sure we're going to get into to the offense that finally showed up. And I think some Oregon fans were very, very happy with the uh, the first half play calling because they let Justin Herbert actually throw the right. ball. But I, I think the biggest takeaway, Tyson, was – this defense went up against a competent offense and completely shut it down. Right. Uh, 
nothing against Stanford or Cal's offense, but those two, those two teams aren't what you're going to, you know, <laughs> put up there as an actual test. This Colorado offense hasn't been held under 30 points all year. They scored 50 at one point in the season. I mean, they were capable of putting up points and Oregon's defense completely shut them down. Right. That's the thing is I wanted to write about Oregon's offense in that game because, you know, as you just said, I really liked the what they did with Herbert uh, in that first half. I think that first drive he had like seven. I think they I think the first like five out of seven plays were, were pass calls. And it was funny because there was people uh, complaining about the uh, the TV call because I think I think Brock was uh, uh, criticizing them for not running the ball enough. And it I, I do feel for Marcus Arroyo in this sense. You know, for the first uh, five weeks of the season, it was how come you can't run the ball well? How come you can't run the ball well? How come you can't run the ball well? Why don't you open up Justin Herbert in the game? And then all of a sudden he goes full on Herbert. It's working. And it's like, well, they should be trying to run the ball here. It should be balanced. I I, th- <laughs> I thought Arroyo called a good game. Uh, the Ducks offense played awfully well. Uh, but that that's also kind of like it wasn't necessarily an impressive effort from the offense. It was an effort that you should have expected out of this offense with the talent that they had going into this year. But you know, that's that's not necessarily the result we've had every week. So I wanted to write about that up until the fact that just this defense didn't allow double digits again. And and, you know, you saw the injuries to like Javon Holland and, uh, um, you know, even when they brought, brought in some of their second string guys later in that game, like they were just coming at dudes. And and that's something I wanted to ask you, because you've you've been around this kind of program a little bit longer than I have. Like, have you ever seen a defense like this? The, I think the closest thing. To compare to this defense, you have to go all the way back to 94, the Rose Bowl year, and 95, that, that next year, that Cotton Bowl team, because those two teams were truly defensive football teams. Um, you know, Mike Bellotti took over as a head coach in 95, and you saw him start implementing more and more of his offense. And then Oregon, from that moment forward, really until here we are now, Tyson, has been an offensive football team which is why I think the success of this this team in 2019 has thrown Oregon fans for a loop. They, they don't know how to deal with this because forever <laughs> the offense has driven the success of Oregon football. But if you go back to, to 94, the gangrene defense that really led Oregon to that Rose Bowl, and, and, and there were some great offensive players, but the, the 94 defense is really the reason why Oregon was able to kind of come out of nowhere. And then that next year in 95, they were even better. But since then, there's been some good defensive players. There have been some, I think the 2010 defense, the national championship year, was a little bit underrated because oh yeah for sure the offense was so good and the offense was all anyone could talk about. But that 2010 defense was pretty doggone good but but nothing like this nothing suffocating to where you are seeing just uh, i think a very aggressive style of defense and and taking teams completely out of their comfort zone it uh it completely changes the way uh you watch and cover an Oregon football game so i'm i'm going to bring you guys behind behind the veil here a little bit behind behind the uh, the curtain and up into the exclusive press box where uh, we we dined on uh, watery pot roast and uh, what what else did we have on uh, Saturday? A- anyways, uh, the, the, the halftime hot dogs made their return, which I was very happy about. <laughs> um, but yes, the 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 uh, the lunch banquet pot roast and and hotel potatoes. Uh, I've got to go. It's got to go, type. <laughs> Okay, so so there there was a, there was a moment I believe it was in the third towards the tail end of the third quarter, Oregon had just scored a touchdown 
And, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, back in past years, it was like, okay, you know, if, if you have to go use the bathroom, yeah, you'll do it when Oregon's defense is on the field. You know, you don't want to miss one of those offensive plays because it's probably something that people are going to want to talk about the rest of the week and all that. So I, uh, I made a run to the bathroom as Oregon was kicking off and I came back probably a minute and 45 seconds later. And in that time, Verone McKinley had intercepted Montez, ran it back for like 55 yards, and like two plays later, the Ducks had scored. And I sat down and was like, what the heck did I just miss? Like, you you, you legitimately can't take a break with this defense. I mean, this offense, you know, moves a little bit slower than it had in past years. So maybe maybe that's the time that you, uh, you know, if, if you got to go to the kitchen and get a snack or, uh, uh, you know, uh, relieve yourself, uh, in, uh, in, in the, the restrooms, you know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to adjust after years and years and years of, of training yourself of when to take your natural breaks in, in these games. And, and it's weird because you still see Oregon and, and, you know, I'm going to bring up the uniforms because I, I think it's, it's one of those things that, that plays tricks with your with your eyes, right? Oregon and the flashy uniforms have always been associated with with speed, with speed and and offense and and creativity and being the, you know the most forward thinking, progressive offensive program over the last couple of decades. And you kind of associate that with the uniforms and everything else. And now you see these guys out there in these you know bright green or bright yellow. They went all yellow, I think, uh, uniforms, and they are playing dominant suffocating defense that you're used to seeing Ohio state, Michigan, uh, Stanford in the, in the pac 12 teams that, that have been kind of those traditional big body defenses. And and now you're seeing Oregon do it, but still kind of keep the flash, but you're right. Tyson, you, you can't take your eyes off of this defense. I, I think three of the interceptions were off of just deflected or off of deflected right. passes. So in years past, I mean, I think Oregon fans over the last couple of seasons would give anything just for a defended pass, you know, a, a, a getting a hand on the <laughs> right. ball. And now Oregon defensive backs are so active. They're not only getting their hand on the football, but they're around the ball, making big plays, making interceptions. The interception in the end zone was one of the best plays I've seen an Oregon defensive back make in, in a long, long time. So you're right. They have, they have playmakers on defense and with what the defensive line is doing and Kayvon Thibodeau kind of coming along as a true freshman, a quarterback sack or, or making Montez just completely uh, abandon the entire playbook is, is kind of up for grabs. So you're right. It, it's not time to go to the bathroom when, when the Oregon <laughs> defense comes, comes on the field. Let's uh, let's let's not use that in the uh, the podcast teaser of uh, Tyson brings on Justin Myers and they talk about <laughs> bathroom breaks and um, the the crazy thing watching that game. And, you know, we, we, we talked about how Colorado is a, a pretty competent offense uh, in that first. Like I I really like watching Montez play quarterback. And even as things just completely hit the fan for Colorado in that game, like he doesn't look like a guy that. um is super like jittery back there, even when under pressure. And at some point in the first half, I wanted to tweet, tweet out, like, I really like watching Montez play quarterback, even, even though his team's not doing well. And I'm really glad I didn't because we both know how Twitter is. And like, at some point in that second half, when like, after like the fourth straight interception, like I was, I would probably have gotten an avalanche of like, do you really think that? Um, But this is a completely competent quarterback they were playing against. One of the guys in the conference that has, you know, the same, you know, not necessarily the same pedigree as Herbert, but he has just as amount just the same amount of experience and had been taking care of the football coming into that game. And the Ducks just made him, um, 
yeah, that I, I I'll have to go back and look it up, but I wouldn't would guess that's probably one of the worst games of his career. Well, and you mentioned it. I mean, you, you took a competent quarterback and it looked like Oregon made him not want to play. There's about a time in, in the middle of the third quarter. And, and I don't blame it because I think every quarterback probably has one of those days where it's just you're running for your life. Nothing you're doing is working. The The playbook has been completely bad. Everything you worked on all week is obviously thrown out the window because it's not working. And And Montez was running for his life at any throw that was, I think, three or four steps back. So yeah. anytime he went to beyond just a one-step drop, Oregon had him running for his life. And there was a point in the middle of the third quarter where you could almost see it in his eyes. If you're watching on the screen and or you can just see it as body language, he was done playing football. And, and I don't blame him. That, and that's not a knock on Montez. I think every quarterback has those days. Uh, Justin Herbert has had those days where you're just, I'm done playing football today. And then it was about the middle of the third quarter for Montez. Yeah, probably like that Arizona game last year, or maybe Washington State last year, where it's just like, all right, guys, we did our best. Uh, time to pack it in. <laughs> maybe not <laughs> yes. to that extent. Andy Staples breaks down the beautiful mess that is college football with his friends from the Athletics Loaded College Football staff in The Andy Staples Show. He'll celebrate the walk-ons, break down the touchdowns that weren't supposed to happen, and freak out every time a coach punts on fourth and one from the opponent's 45. Join Andy on the appropriately named Andy Staples Show twice weekly and click the follow button on the series page for notifications when new episodes release. Well, so so coming into this game, I thought Oregon was the best team in the Pac-12. But as, as we mentioned earlier, there was a lot of kind of caveats to that. And I think a lot of it revolved around the offense. You know, we had seen Oregon's defense do this in three or four straight games, but there was a little bit of that. Let's see how they do it against a, a really good defense. And now you you look at that score and they put up 40-plus points. They limited it to single digits points-wise. Did that game change anything about the way you think about the Ducks going forward, especially going into uh, a game this week that was, you know, I think everyone had circled that along with Auburn coming into the year as like these are like the two marquee games of the season? Uh, I don't think so, because I think going into that game, I, I thought, and I still think Oregon's the best team in the Pac-12, I don't know, and I don't think that Oregon is at a level to be considered in, in the playoff. Um, right. and, and I think that it's it's weird that that's the jump, but that's kind of where it is. And I think that's more of, that, that's more of a, a knock on the Pac-12 this year. And I think that's another thing that, that is maybe Tyson prevented some Oregon fans from completely coming on board. I, I was thinking about this this weekend. You know, I, I know it was a Friday game, but you've got a team now that is five and one. Their only loss is was an absolute last second heartbreaker to Auburn, and you are by far, I think, the the most talented team in the Pac-12. And it just seems like Oregon fans haven't completely bought in. And I think that's more of the fact that nobody trusts the Pac-12, right? For years right. past, if Oregon would get, you know, three or four Pac-12 wins under their belt, especially dominating the way this is, everybody then gets in. And, and I just don't think anybody trusts Stanford or Cal or Colorado um, in terms of teams that that you can measure yourself with because it just the Pac-12 is not going to be a player on a national stage. If Oregon runs the table in these next three games and they beat Washington on the road, they beat Washington State and beat USC on the road, I mean, that's that's three pretty good football teams. We'll see about Washington State, but I think Washington and USC on the road, 
I think maybe that may change my mind that this team could make a push for the playoff. I still think it's a very, very outside chance. I think, uh, I think the latest projection I saw was about 8%. But you run through these three games and this defense continues to play the way it does. I, I think crazy things happen in college football. You saw what happened to Georgia losing at home to South Carolina with a backup quarterback. Crazy things happen. And, and I think it's going to take running the table in these next three games for me to think that Oregon could actually be a, a playoff contender. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Um, what what this win did this week is it, it it kept them it kept them at least on the waiting list to get in. They, they don't have the credentials to do that yet. But you know if if they win th- these next three games in a row and and they start out the Pac twelve season six and zero, oh, um, they're they're going to have done just about everything that you need to do to be in that discussion. Now, whether or not you think that they can hold their own with like the Oklahoma's and LSU's and Alabama's of the world. That's, that's a completely di- different discussion. But um, you know, what we said coming into this year was, Hey, Oregon's got a shot at this thing, but if they lose to Auburn, they're going to have to run the table. And and so far they've, they've done everything that they need to do to uh, get to this point. And just in terms of like the PAC 12 and, and what this game coming up this week means, like, it was so big that Washington did what they did this <laughs> this this past week and and taking care of business and putting up a lot of points. Um, uh, just because if 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 Washington would have come into uh, this game with a uh, three losses, like this is this is an important win or this is an important game for Oregon coming up to beat a top twenty five Washington team on the road. If if Washington had looked like garbage this past past weekend, uh, I think that would have really uh, kind of neutralized any sort of shot the Ducks had. But this this is still a marquee game coming up on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, it, and here's what's crazy because. Beyond the the rivalry and and beyond everything with you know with Oregon and Washington in the last couple of years, what's crazy to me, Tyson, and look, I, I am by far a math whiz, but if Oregon wins this game on Saturday, <laughs> it's it's assuredly a lock, right, to win the Pac-12 North. I mean, they would really, really have to screw up um, because you would have a two-game lead and a t- and a head-to-head against Washington. Washington State's got the Pac-12 losses. You've already got the head-to-head and two-game lead against Stanford and against Cal. So in the Pac-12 North, the only team you wouldn't have the the full two-game lead on would be Oregon State, which uh, after what happened well, this weekend, he, yeah, I think we can I, dial we can dial back the Oregon State on the right track <laughs> discussion. But yeah, it, man, it, I, it's I had them mid- in the Alamo Bowl, and it's uh, it's it's not looking that great. No, I'm not, I don't think they're going to make it. But it, yeah. it's. It's crazy that you can look right now at the middle of October. If Oregon gets this win, they're assuredly a, they're almost assured a lock of the Pac-12 North. And for Oregon fans that are thinking, yeah, but the Pac, Oregon hasn't won the Pac-12 North since 2014. It's a big deal to win the division. It's it's a it, it is a first step if Oregon wants to get back to playing on a national level. The first thing you have to do is win your division. Mario Cristobal hasn't done it. They have done it since 2014, and Marcus Mariota was your quarterback. So for, for Oregon fans that are kind of poo-pooing the, uh, the, the Pac-12 North, I would say you know, that, that's still, I think, a fairly big accomplishment for this program considering where it was three years ago. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge like what tone to write with when talking about that specific topic because, like you just mentioned, I, I do feel like – there has been this complete um, jump or at least just like um, skipping of, of winning the Pac-12 title before you, you talk about, you know, even bigger things like the playoff or whatnot. Like this is a team that was still four and eight, two, two seasons ago. Like 
there, there was worry about whether or not that was like whether Washington's reign at, at the top of the conference was going to be perennial because of the timing of when Oregon got bad and all their kind of coaching changes and everything. And here we are. It's we're recording this today on October 14th and Oregon could be five days away from locking up this conference. And um, that's kind of insane. It is considering what other program in the country, which which is why, you know, I've I've mentioned this a bunch, you know, on the radio and, and obviously I'll throw it out here. I mean, for Oregon fans, you have to, Oregon fans get into a vacuum and that's not anything different than any other fan base. Every fan base kind of sees their own program as it is. And, and it's tough to compare to other programs. You mentioned 2016, Oregon looked like the party was over, right? It was that, that civil war loss in the rain seemed like it was the, the funeral for what was an unbelievable run. It was a great ride, boys, but now it's done. <laughs> Since then, they've had a coach. So you fire Mark Helfrich and essentially fire the... the 100 years the top- of experience with him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Of, of every coach that goes all... Coaches that go all the way back to that 94 season, like I mentioned, and you replace it with Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart goes one and done, doesn't even make it to the bowl game, you bring in Mario Cristobal, a guy who I know Oregon fans all love. Um, and, you know, Tyson, you and I knew kind of talking to him as an assistant that like, boy, this guy's got something. But on paper, not the biggest splash hire. I mean, right. Mario Cristobal as, as, a, as a head coach was at FIU and got fired and has been kind of a, an assistant. But again, that's on paper. In real life, you see what he's been able to build. And to go from 2016 – Two coaches, uh, assistant coaches, you know, in in and out, uh, uh, what, three defensive coordinators at that time, to be in a position to lock up the Pac-12 North is something that just programs aren't supposed to do. Completely right. Okay, so we're going to switch gears here. Um, later in this week, we're going to we're going to try to have our Washington writer Christian Capel on, and we're going to break down the the upcoming game a little bit in better detail then. But uh, Justin, uh, you spent. What was it about a year or two years up in Seattle working recently? I was uh, in Seattle for two years. Yes, you were in, you were in Seattle for two years. Um, let's let's uh, let's let's cause up some uh, drama here. What's what's a better city? Oh <laughs> Seattle boy, or, Seattle oh, or boy. Portland? Oh, boy. So 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 <laughs> let, let's 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 preface this with the fact that um, I I was actually born in Seattle and we lived there up until I moved to my family moved to Alaska when I was about five or six. I, I grew up being a big Mariners fan. I still love going to Mariners games up there. I I, I know you're the same way. Um, just okay. So l- let me rephrase that. Instead of saying what city's better, as a as a longtime Oregonian yourself, what was it like? Kind of just like crossing the border and and being a a, a Washingtonian or whatever the hell you call it <laughs> for for, for a two year period. It was weird, you know. I remember when I had to replace my my Oregon license plates on my on my truck to put the Washington license plates on. It didn't it didn't quite feel right. So, all right. So when we're talking Seattle to Portland, which I, I've I've now lived in both cities, even though I am I'm a native Oregonian, I've only lived in Portland for four years, uh, and and I lived for two and a half up in Seattle. Tyson, you you can't just go better or worse. You have to go tail of the tape, right? there are pluses and minuses in, in both cities. You mentioned baseball. That's, that's the one thing that I say puts Seattle up over the top is the fact that in the summer, even if the Mariners are terrible, which they are most summers. Do I have some some news for you? They are. (laughs) (laughs) are. Going to Mariner games in the summer 
in is, is something that that puts Seattle at at a certain level. That is a void that Portlanders do not want to admit, but it is true. So uh, Portland Diamond Project, MLB to PDX, whatever you got to do, you have to get a baseball team in Portland. If that happens, uh, Seattle's going to feel the wrath because that's the, the one void that Portland has. Um, I would say it is easier to get around Portland. Um, Comple- completely I, I think, agree. I, 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 think, I still get, I still get, uh, I get really str- we. There, there are two places that I get really stressed out driving on Friday. You found out one of those was the Autzen uh, parking lot during tailgate hours. Like, come on, guys. I That's my parking spot. I know your beer pong table's there, but I got to park. I got to work. <laughs> um, and uh, driving in downtown Seattle, I it's, it's one of those cities where I have no idea which road I, or street I take to get back onto the freeway. You know, there's all the up, uphills, downhills, diagonals. It's, it's just it's it's no good for me. Well, and, and so Portland, not only, I mean, look, traffic is bad in both cities. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and talk about Portland traffic like it's anything. But uh, what if you need to get around Portland, there are ways. There, the, the mass transit is better here. Uh, the max line, uh, just, just getting around the city without a car is so much easier, or even with, with a bike, uh, than getting around Seattle. Um, sorry, Seattle, the food is better in Portland. It just is. I know both cities claim to be food cities, uh, but the food is better here. It it, it just is. Uh, I, I I don't have any examples to throw at you, but <laughs> it, it just the, the the food is better here. Um, well, I mean, the, the, I, I mean, I I can attest to that because you do look a little heavier since you've been back in Portland uh, than when you were up in Seattle. You know, I, I think it's just science. <laughs> I'm sorry. First off. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, no, you, you look you, you look completely fine. I'm so I'm so sorry. We wake you up at 830 to come on to this podcast. And yeah, <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've been up. But here, here's the thing, though. Uh, you know, the, the biggest difference is I see I was a single man in Seattle. Uh, you get that relationship 15 Tyson. And, uh, and and that's where I'm at now. So it's like all of a sudden, like you're going and and. and Hitting the gym super early, yeah, I can take a day off. She still it's, loves me. It's I'm it's good. it's like it's it's tough when the college fifteen rolls into the you just got your career job fifteen rolls into the you just got married fifteen. Uh, you know that that adds up to forty five, and uh, um, I think that's why I'm not on camera all the time. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't but, mean to smack um, Here, here's what I will say though. Um, because I, as you mentioned, let one, I'll, let's put one last capper on this on the Seattle Portland thing, or even this Oregon Washington thing. Because I, I covered Oregon football um, professionally since two thousand four. I've been around the Oregon program my entire life, uh, and I always thought that you know, when when Oregon was at its peak, I thought there's there's no team on the West Coast, including Washington, that could get to the level of fandom that Oregon has. That Oregon was on a level of of Southern schools and big 10 schools, but in, in Seattle, um, the, the passion is there. Uh, I think sometimes the passion gets a little misguided. It turns into a lot of, a lot of anger, which by the way is in both programs, but in terms of on the West coast, I I think Washington fans and Oregon fans, because they are so alike, really, really hate each other. Um, but both fan bases, I've been in, in the middle of both. They are the same. It, it is an impressive combination, Tyson, that I've never seen of, one, 
thinking that you are better than other programs, yet still at the same time, believing that no one gives you any respect. It is an impressive combination and it is shared by both Oregon and Washington fan bases. It's, it's the same thing as uh, one thing you see on Twitter all the time is uh, you see a lot of Kobe fans always tweet like, man, people people forget how good Kobe was. Or people are always bringing up slander on Kobe's name. No, it's just you guys. <laughs> no, you're the only one. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you guys are the only ones who keep bringing this up. Uh, the other question I had about you for you just working in that environment, you know, the – as we brought up earlier, Seattle has, um, you know, just some larger market teams. They have NFL, they have MLB. Where on your guys's when, when you guys were doing the show up there, how often were you talking about Washington football? Because here in Portland, you know, that's that's kind of the star, straw that stirs the drink. I mean, it's 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 Ducks. Pro, it's probably Ducks, Blazers, then maybe Timbers, Beavers after that. But, uh, you know, in, in Seattle, you know, there's there's a lot more competition to uh, uh, get on the airwaves with. Well, okay, so I was there in 2014 and 2015, those two football seasons. So it was seasons. before so, Peterson really hit the – Yes, so Chris Peterson, I think, was was just hired. Uh, Jake Browning was starting as a true freshman, I think, in 2015. Um, and and you, you also have to remember, when I was there, the Seahawks had just won the Super Bowl. And, yeah, and, yeah, that's And fair. we're going into a year where – <laughs> where they were going to play for another Super Bowl. And well, you don't talk about that Super Bowl. That's, that's the one that you don't talk about in Seattle. Um, but <laughs> so at that time, look, and I still think right now, look, NFL team that has as much success and has a player like Russell Wilson and has a, a coach like Pete Carroll, that's the number one priority for Seattle sports fans is, uh, is the Seahawks. After that, I mean, it, it was kind of all up in the air. Like there was some, hope that the the Mariners were going to come around because uh they had Robinson Cano. Cano Felix was still in in the middle of of kind of uh, of his prime he was still a number one starter back then and they had just signed Nelson Cruz so it looked like the the Mariners were gonna m- maybe make some moves as you know they did not um and and once Chris Peterson kind of got things going the Huskies I think are now a solid number two in Seattle but the Seahawks making the playoffs every year, having Russell Wilson as an MVP candidate is always going to be number one. All right. So I promised I'd let you do this. So we're going to move on to our last segment here. I, uh, a little bit of a uh, backstory of how this came, came about. I had, uh, so Aaron, Aaron's coming back from Cleveland. I had a late hockey game last night and I came home and I remembered, Oh shoot, we got a show in the morning. Um, this is probably, uh, my producer is probably shaking his head right now going like, what you guys don't plan for this. Uh, I did plan for it, but I shot Justin a late night text message because I knew you would be awake because I knew you were at a concert last night and, uh, you and your fiance went to the completely normal for uh, people of our age concert to go do. You went to the Jonas Brothers concert. And so here, I'll give you a platform. I'll give you about two minutes. Give me a review. Uh, well, you know, I appreciate that, Tyson, because one, I, I want I appreciate the fact that you lump me in with your age, um, which I am not anywhere close to your age, but I will take it. But yes, I went to the Jonas Brothers concert and I was thinking about you. Know, I've I've covered a lot of big events, you know. I, I've covered a national championship game. I've covered an NFC title <laughs> game. I've covered, uh, you know, some. I mean, some pretty big events. You know, Civil War games where the winner went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, I've covered two Rose Bowls. The the pop 
of I, I like where this is heading of of a <laughs> of of a of a just a primal scream from the Jonas Brothers faithful at the Moda Center last night was unlike anything I have ever heard. And I have been in some very, very important games. And the the volume was one thing, but it was a volume and a pitch and just an uncontrollable scream that was, I mean, at, at a different <laughs> level. <laughs> and so that, that was what I... And, First off, they put on a great show. Uh, BB Rexa opened up; that was solid too. Uh, I don't know if you follow her catalog, but it's it's glorious. Um, but but here's what I took away from it: from a, in a sports analogy, we talked about because <laughs> you know, as a radio guy, I got to take everything and turn it into a sports analogy. You know, we talked about Oregon fans. Are Oregon fans all in with this team? Do they need to be uh, convinced? Jonas Brothers fans are at a commitment level unlike any football fan. In any city, any level, NFL, it it was Sunday night in October, so a school night for a lot of these kids, and fully committed, and and a level and a volume like I've never seen. Well, this is why you come and listen to the It Never Rains podcast. You just don't get this sort of insight and analysis and breakdown, frankly, anywhere else in the the Oregon Ducks podcasting world. So uh, uh, <laughs> re- really appreciate you coming on, uh, Justin. And uh, as a reminder, he uh, he's uh, the host of The Bridge on NBC Sports Northwest. You can find him on the radio on 620 AM here in Portland. Um just really great time this morning, Justin. Thanks for coming on again, man. Anytime, Tyson. Anytime Fentress leaves you hanging, you know that you can always come to the reliable, consistent Justin Myers. That wild card Fentress, you never quite know what he's doing. He claims he's flying back from Cleveland. I, I'd, I'd like proof, to be perfectly honest. But yes, Tyson, anytime. <laughs> uh, love to come back. Awesome. Well, once again, that's Justin Myers. I'm Tyson Alger. This is our uh, Monday episode available on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, We would love it if you would give us a rating and a review. And uh, just a reminder for uh, athletic subscribers, we'll be back on Friday with uh, Christian Capel for a complete breakdown of the Washington game. So thanks for listening to everybody, and uh, we'll see you on Friday. 